come and be with you. Our family, as Colin mentioned, has just moved to this area, and we've, uh, we have friends here. Uh, not only do we know uh, Colin and Holly, uh, who we think so highly of, and I know you have come to love and be blessed by them and who they are, uh, but we have other friends here as well, and so it's been a, a good connection point for us as we're transitioning in and finding our way. Someone came up earlier, and I was saying, yes, I know Colin. He was, he was uh, one of my students. I think the first preaching class he took at ACU was a preaching class with me. Um, and they said to me, well, then, you, maybe you know uh, Dr. Ian Fair. And I don't even know if Dr. Fair is here. I haven't seen this morning. Is Dr. Fair here? No? And I said, yes, and Dr. Fair was my professor. So there's this great uh, connection. We are uh, uh, so blessed to be connected to each other uh, in these ways. The Word of God for us this morning comes from Philippians 2, and I know that you've, Colin has led you into this study of the book of Philippians, and I'd like for us to share together this passage from the second chapter of Philippians as we turn our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's bow together and give thanks. God, for your word living eternal and true, we give you our thanks. We turn our hearts and minds toward you and pray that we would come to know you more deeply and fully, to love you with all that we are, all that we have, and all that we do. So open our ears that we might hear and our minds that we might understand and our hearts that we might know you more completely. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in the name of Jesus. 
the word become flesh. Amen. You know, it occurs to me that there are songs that are woven into the fabric of who we are, woven into the fabric of our lives. We are sung into existence when my two daughters, who are now 23 and 21, were just born into our lives when they were little bitty girls. I decided that every night when they went to bed, I would sing over them, that that would be a thing. And not just any song would do, you see. I didn't want to just pick one. You may have done something similar, but I wanted a special song, and so I wrote one. I came up with a little song for them, and it was their song. When I laid them down to sleep at night, I knelt beside their bed, and I sang. I remember when I held you in my arms. And I remember well that special little charm when a little girl steals her daddy's heart. Words can't speak and time can't part. I can't believe that I held you in my arms. I felt you in my arms. You're my angel eyes. Heaven has come in my presence. You're my angel eyes. God bless the child that he's given to me. And I tell you, when I sing that song, I'm right there again. They're 23, they're 21. But I'm right there again. And I can feel the softness of my oldest daughter, Claire's curls. And I can see the big, round, blue eyes of her sister, Emily. And I'm there again. There are certain songs that are woven into the fabric of our lives They tell a story, they say important things, but they connect us. They are powerful that way. Our lives are sung into existence. Maybe you have songs too that sort of mark, they become like a soundtrack. You know how every movie has a soundtrack. Maybe our lives also have soundtracks. I grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas, in North Texas here. I played Little League Baseball for the Mustangs. And one year, the Mustangs won the city championship. And afterwards, we all hopped in the back of a pickup truck because you could do that back then. And we were going to go celebrate, and someone turned on the radio. And you know what they were playing? You guys won't know this, but some of you will. It was cool in the gang. Celebrate good times. You remember that one? It was that one. And to this day when I hear that song, occasionally it does come up. Cool in the gang? I'm back in that moment. And I remember details that I wouldn't remember otherwise because that song was a part of the experience woven into the fabric of my life. Our lives are sung into existence 
like a soundtrack, not only for us individually, and even as I'm saying these things, I'm guessing that you're imagining the songs that mark the story of your life, too, in your own experiences, maybe the song you sang over your own kids or songs that played at special times, but us collectively together as the people of God, it works much the same way, you know. Our lives woven together in the music. I was having this conversation with some friends at work, and we were talking about this, and some of you who are younger may not get this at all about church. Some of you who are maybe new to our, fel- our fellowship in Churches of Christ may not get this. But if I say 728B, you know, it's an inside thing. I mean, who else would know that? Seven, somebody else? 728B, I don't even know what you're talking about. But you, some of you know, right? Because it's a part of our common experience. It holds us together as there's this song and we know the number where it was found before we ever dreamt or had the ability to project things up on a screen. We knew it was in a book and you could turn there, 728B. There is beyond the azure blue. And you know the next line, don't you? Because that's the way it works. These songs that tie the people of God together and become a part of the fabric of our life together as the people of God are doing something to us. They are forming us. They become a part of our collective consciousness and fund our imagination for where God might be among us and where God might be leading us so that I can say the first line of a song and you can fill in the next line. There is beyond the azure blue... I knew you wouldn't let me down. Maybe there's no other song that's like this than the song Amazing Grace. Because it cuts across a a lot of territory, doesn't it? And it says something deeply profound. I sat in the living room, this little old stone house in Buffalo Gap, Texas. That's about 13 miles south of Abilene. It's pretty flat in Abilene. Don't know if you know this, but it's flat. But if you drive south 13 miles, there are some hills out at the Gap and these big Texas live oaks. I preached there for the last 13, 14 years while teaching and working at ACU, I had the opportunity to meet this little old couple. They sat out on the front porch there in Buffalo Gap, and they'd smile and wave at people, a little Jesus loves you sign on their front porch. And I came to know them. I sat in their living room, come to know their story a little bit. And I remember one conversation in particular because I had the foresight to say, I want to record this. So I want you to meet Kay, Kay Littles, and I want you to hear this little conversation we had um, not too many years ago. This is Kay. Sing a little bit of Amazing Grace for me. Think you can do that? Oh, gosh. Yeah, you can. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
was blind, but now I see. Oh gosh. She didn't even be able to get up here. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. Oh, it makes me want to cry. Here, did you hear Kay? Kay said, oh gosh, that makes me want to cry. Because it connected her to something going way back. There are certain songs that are woven into the fabric of our life, whether it's our individual lives or our collective lives like this. There are songs that shape who we are. So it's not surprising when we open the Word of God today, these words from Philippians 2, when Paul reaches sort of the center of his message, the real heartbeat of what he's doing in Philippians, that he'll stop, and I don't know, when you're just reading it off the page, you can hardly detect it, but I imagine where, where Paul stops, and there's this long pause, and he sets his pen down, And in his mind, if not with his lips, he begins to sing. We call it the Christ hymn in Philippians 2. And in your Bibles, you've probably noticed, if you look at this passage, that when you get to this point in the passage in Philippians 2 at verse 6, that it's set off as if it's in poet, as if it's poetry, right? That it's not just prose that's being written here. It's not just a letter that's being written down. That this is a set piece. It's a hymn. The Christ hymn. The centerpiece of what Paul wants them to hear and know is a song. And I don't know if these are Paul's words, if he's pinning the song as if it were an original piece and he says what I want to do is is transcribed for you the words of a song, and he writes it down, and he includes it in his letter and sends it off to them, but I have a feeling that that's not the case at all. That what Paul writes down here in Philippians 2 at this point are words of a song that they already know and that they already sing. It's their song. He's writing back to them. Remember, this is what we sing. This is what you sing. It's the words of a song. Is it Paul's voice that we hear or to hear as we read Philippians 2? Is it the voice of Christians in Philippi that we're to hear as we read Philippians 2? Or maybe, just maybe, it's our voice too, along with all those ones who followed in the footsteps of Jesus from Paul and Philippi all the way down to to who you are, to who we are as God's people in our own time and place. It's the song of God. And it's a profound thing that we sing together. It's not just that we say things about God in descriptions and by writing history and chronicling facts, but it's that we sing the story and the activity of God. It's what God's people have always done is to sing is to sing together and so know God's presence. But if you're going to get this song in Philippians 2, 
you've really got to understand something of the origin of it. Your attitude, your mind is to be that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing. That this song points us in the beginning all the way back to the origin of all things where God before there was called forth the creation out of God's own life, out of God's own person. That out of the chaos and the disconnected and the nothingness of the before creation, God spoke and by God's word and God's spirit, what happened? Something came into existence. The language here in the creation story is about how nothing held together. That's kind of what chaos is like. The disconnected, chaotic abyss. Nothing holds together until God speaks and by God's Spirit, something comes together and it was, right? Out of God's life, by God's Word, through God's Spirit, that which is disconnected comes together and is connected and is whole. And the created order reflects the togetherness and the wholeness of God. Right? And the created ones, human persons, created in the image of God, reflect the wholeness and the togetherness of the God who creates them. And the Creator, in the beginning, the Creator is is where? Where is God? If not together, in the creation, and with the created ones, you see. Until the thing begins to come apart. And then what happens? What's the description like of the creation at that point? Does it hold the same kind of symmetry and togetherness? No, it begins to come apart. Life east of Eden is very different than life in Eden. And what happens to the relationship, the togetherness of the created ones with the God who created them? Are they together in all of this anymore, or is there something that pulls them apart? And what about the relationship of the created ones to each other? Created for togetherness and wholeness and fullness. Are they together in the same kind of way? You know one of the first stories about human persons outside of Eden is the story of, this is the talk back portion of the sermon, two brothers, Cain and Cain's brother Abel. And Cain steals the life of his brother Abel. It's a story that's fundamentally about the fracture of the togetherness of human persons created to give and receive life from each other. So that I become fearful and afraid and threatened by you, and so in order to protect my own life, I steal a little away from you so that I can hang on to more. That's what the story of Cain and Abel is about. Where in the beginning God called forth persons, you and I, human persons, to see our lives 
as something through which we can find life precisely because we're willing to pour our life out for each other, to give our life away to each other and, and receive it from each other. Instead, we are fearful and afraid and threatened, and so we steal life from each other in lots of ways, little and small ways, words, actions. We steal life. And that togetherness that God always intended for us to know and share between each other begins to dissipate, and the thing begins to fracture and pull apart. It happens over and over and over again. And so Paul says, remember, you were not created for that. You were created to participate in that fullness and that togetherness. And it's a very real thing because whether we intend for it to happen or not, it happens to us, doesn't it? It happened to the church in Philippi. All sorts of pressures from out there pressing in on the life of the church. It cannot bear that pressure and begins to fracture. You can read about it in Acts 16 where Paul first shows up in Philippi and the Spirit of God has led him there in the first place. Go over to Macedonia. And he comes to Philippi and he meets people who believe. And the next thing you know, he's thrown into prison and beaten. And then he's on his way and the church is left there, this young church, to figure out what all this means. And, and you don't think that the pressure that Paul experienced that landed him in prison comes to visit them it happens, things around the life of the church that come to impose themselves on the life of the church. And all of a sudden, between us, there begins to be these fissures and fractures. Paul, at the end of this letter, will refer to Yodia and Syntyche and say to them, I urge you, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to agree with each other. I don't know what was going on between those two, but I can, I've been in church, and so I'll tell you what it looks like. Yodia and Syntyche got crossways, and then they talked to their friends, and Syntyche talked to her friends, and before you know it, you had the Yodia group, and you had the Syntyche group, and the church began to fissure along those lines. I guarantee you that's what's going on. No one ever intended that, but it happens. It happens. So you know what Paul does? He stands up in front of them. Yodia group over here. Maybe. Syntyche group over here. And he says, look, listen, let me sing you a song. And the minute he begins to sing, they know it. They know the next line. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he did what? Sing, church. He emptied himself. Taking on human form. He came as a servant, as a slave, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remember, church, this is the song we sing. This is who we are. 
he reminds them of their song. And not only does he remind them of their song, but he invites them to sing along with him. Because in the singing of the song, they become that which they sing about. They become a people who, though imperfect, and even though the pressure of a world and of relationships that pull us apart are their experience too, they know that there is a way that transcends this. It is the the power of God's self-giving, self-emptying love that says, though I am sometimes fearful and uncertain and afraid, and sometimes I feel threatened by all that out there and some of this in here, I will resist the urge to steal a little life from you so that I can feel better about mine. I will empty my life for your sake. I will pour myself out for you. Paul says, you sing your song, church. You sing it. This is who you are. You see, the song about the gift of God in the cross of Jesus Christ is not only about what we have received freely by grace from God, but it's about what God is making of us and of all things. You sing your song, church. Sing it from the inside out. Sing it from the inside out. Practice it with each other. In my experience, teaching and working with young ministers who come to university and then go out to serve churches, I talk to them about how your calling is to give your life away for the sake of the church. It's to empty yourself. And when I have an opportunity to stand in front of churches serving young ministers, I say to them, your calling is to pour your life out for the sake of that ministry couple. You empty yourself for their sake. And they empty themselves for your sake. That's what it is to sing your song, the song of Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Right? You sing your song, church, from the inside out, and so you learn to sing it with each other. You learn that though there are things that drive you crazy, this is church so we can be honest, right? about trying to live in community, in faith community with each other, that you will not be among those who, because you are fearful and anxious and afraid, steal a little life from someone else so you can hold on on to yours. But you will live in this way of mutual self-giving. And I know the brother and sister who are saying, yeah, I'll do that they got to pour out their life first. You pour out yours. Except God didn't wait. Right? Sing your song from the inside out. 
Sing it here. And then sing it in your homes. You know the most difficult place to sing this song? I'll tell you where the most difficult place to sing this song is. It's to sing this song to your spouse. What is it about that makes it so hard and painful and difficult? To the one place, the inner sanctum of our lives, right? The core relationships in our lives where we say, in essence, because we name Jesus and we sing this song, we will not be anxious and fearful and afraid and so in little and large ways steal life from the other with a word or with an action. We will pour our life out for the sake of someone else. Sing that song in your homes and in your marriages. Sing it at your workplace. Because God has called you to be people who carry this melody in your heart and your life into every place where God would send you. To sing it with the people that you work alongside or who work for you or that you work for. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He poured his life out, and so you live and love and you work this way. Because this is your song. You sing this song. You sing it from the inside out. To the people that live around you in your neighborhoods, you say, what if our family strategy was, my strategy was, I'm going to try and figure out the best way that I can pour my life out for the people who live on this side of me and the people who live on this side of me. I don't even know them really. I just moved here. But I'm going to try and figure out what it means to pour my life out for the sake of that person and for the sake of that person. We sing this song from the inside out to the places where we live and work. And then do you know what we do? We come back here, inside again. And Paul stands in front of us and says, remember the song we sing. And we take bread and we break it. And we say, this is the body of Christ broken for us. It's a gift and we receive it. But you know what else we say? Our song has taught us to say, we will be broken and given to. And we take this cup and we say, this is the blood of Christ poured out for us. And we receive it as grace upon grace upon grace. But you know what else we say when we take that cup and we remember those things? You know what else we say? Because the song has taught us to say, we say, we will be poured out too. We'll be poured out right here for the sake of one, each other. And we'll be poured out for the sake of the world. We will sing our song. You leave this place today, sing your song, church. Sing your song. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would join our hearts and voices together in this melody that affirms who you are, that you are a God of self-emptying love, and that real power comes in self-giving. That you are a God who chose not to lord over but to come serve under and so show us a way of greater love.
of greater life. Remind us of these things and teach us to sing your song, even as you make us to be the song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.